Hi, I'm Tor, and I'm here to share secrets. Today, I'm sharing secrets with Guy Ziskind, CEO of Enigma. If you've never heard Guy speak, you are in for a treat because he is brilliant. He's an accomplished privacy researcher. He's now, of course, CEO of Enigma, the development team that's been working on secret contracts. And now secret contracts, after years of development, are finally coming to mainnet, the secret network mainnet, on September 15th. That's the expected date for them to go live. Guy and I are going to talk about his history with Enigma, his history researching and developing privacy solutions, talk about some of what privacy means to him personally, what he's learned in the past few years. It's an amazing inside look at somebody who has been working in this space for a long time, who knows what it takes to struggle with something and then bring it to life. Uh, it was a pleasure to talk to him. So I look forward to you enjoying the next 45 minutes of Guy Ziskind. Guy, thank you so much for agreeing to share some secrets with me. I think we've been trying to do this for a few years now, but with secret contracts finally coming to mainnet, uh, I don't think there's a better moment. So welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's an, it's an honor being the first guest after the renewal of the show. Um, and yeah, it's about time. Yes, episode one. Uh, episode zero was more of a teaser. Episode one, I think this is a lot more like what you're going to expect to see going on into the future, bringing on people who have contributed to the secret network ecosystem or who are privacy passionate or who have very interesting perspectives, unique perspectives, I would say, on the blockchain and cryptocurrency space. Um, but we try to keep things, uh, I guess, personal because we want to figure out really what our you know, your motivations, what are your secrets in the space? We, we too often hear about just the tech, but I want to hear about you, which brings me to my very first question, which is secret network enigma, all about privacy and protecting privacy for users of technologies. So why is privacy important to you, Guy? So I've actually been thinking about that for quite a while. Um, I, I used to just give, I guess, the most cliche answer that you can think about, which is, you know, privacy is a human right. And I think it is one of the more valuable human rights that we have and that we should, um, we should, you know, um, I mean, have and make sure that we don't ever lose. But over time, I kind of dug deeper and, you know, if I'm being very honest, one of the very important aspects, uh, which is something that probably I'm only going to say because I'm a technologist at heart, is that solving privacy is really hard, and it's an extremely interesting problem to solve. And if I'm spending, you know, the better, um, um, a good amount of time on solving a problem, I want to care deeply about it, both from a mission perspective, but also I want it to intrigue me, I want it to challenge me intellectually. And privacy answers that question. But also in the, I'd say, last one to two years, I've actually been digging a bit deeper into that, even beyond. And I realized that what I really care about privacy is that it's one important facet of fairness. I've always been a big proponent of fairness in opportunity. 
And I think that if you don't have privacy or if people don't get the privacy that they deserve, then you don't get fairness and opportunity because, you know, large organizations can, you know, have create some, uh, um, um, uh, character, uh, um, you know, some image of you that might not be fair and not, it might not be correct. And so, like, you know, if, if privacy is not a thing that each and every one of us are entitled, then we are definitely not not starting from the from equal footing. Yeah, I think that's very clear to me now as well, and definitely not something that I appreciated uh, years ago. And like when when I was still at MIT, it was something that I was hearing a lot about, but not something that I was studying very closely, either as a technology or as a fundamental right. And now, of course, here we are years later. I think it's probably one of the biggest takeaways I have. But let's jump back in time then, because I first met you at uh, MIT when I was taking your blockchain technologies course. And obviously, you, you knew at the time a lot more than I did, and that continues to today. Uh, I'm always catching up and I'm always learning, uh, not just from you, but from everybody else who are, are like the builders in the space who, who really have devoted their lives to this technology. So back in, let's say, 2015, when we were there together, tell me a little bit about how this project of Enigma got started and, and how your research was getting started. What What was the motivation and what was it like at the time? Sure. So the, the the original roots from the project is actually slightly before 2015. Uh, it was more like around 2014. Um, I was, um, well, here, here's the thing. I was very fascinated by blockchain technology. This was a time where Ethereum was, even be, before Ethereum did its ICO, it had some very like, you know, um, rudimentary code out there, like an alpha that wasn't really working, but the ideas of, of smart contracts were out there. So the idea of creating this uh, fair, here we are back to fairness, uh, fair block, uh, world computer that can basically do things uh, as you would expect it to do because it's, you know, decentralized and has consensus and all that, that was very much picking up. And so I was thinking about what can we do with such technology? And uh, me and a few others, we landed on something that we were very passionate about, which is creating this idea of decentralized identity and personal data stores where you know, people can control their own data and uh, they can control their own identity and know exactly what's happening, who's getting access to their you know, sensitive identity information and data and can revoke that access and so forth. And you know, clearly blockchain being kind of like a neutral ground and with the whole advent of um, smart contracts, um, we went ahead and said, let's try this you know, basic uh, prototype of Ethereum and, and smart contracts and, and try to build it on that. And from the get-go, I mean, at, at that time I had a good understanding um, of how blockchain works internally. And, you know, I, I, I was a bit puzzled, right? Because I was saying, look, this is what we want to build. But as far as I know, like everything on the blockchain is public, right? That, that, that was the case in Bitcoin. That was the case in, in, any, in any kind of blockchain because you, you got to reach consensus and to reach consensus, you need, um, you need to see the data the nodes, the world, they all need to see the data so they can verify. 
And but you know, I was kind of hoping that maybe Ethereum have, have cracked that. Like maybe they have a solution because they are selling a world computer. I cannot think of a global computing machine that um, exposes all the data publicly. And, you know, I looked a bit deeper. I looked at the white paper, yellow paper. I think it was, I, I think the yellow paper was out by then. And I was trying to figure it out and, and it was very clear that there is still no solution. And so the entire premise of building a real decentralized identity system and a personal data store concept on the blockchain, I mean, that fell apart pretty much immediately. And that really led to the whole idea of Enigma, which is how can we create a decentralized platform that allows you to do privacy preserving computations? You know, another way to think about it is uh, you want secret contracts, right? You want a platform like Ethereum with smart contracts, but where the data in those contracts uh, remains completely private. So that was the start of it. And, you know, it seems like we are now getting there a few years after that. Well, uh, it's been an incredible and very challenging at times journey from those starting points in 2014 to the present day. And obviously you've gone through a lot of iterations for the technology. I know back in 2014, 2015, the, the white papers were looking at MPC, we're looking at like other forms of technologies. Obviously now the, the network relies on, uh, for the time being, secure enclaves, uh, which, which seem to be the most uh, currently performant technology available to us. But obviously it's been a very winding road from every possible perspective, not just the technology. Um, but let's talk about today. We got there. Secret contracts are coming to mainnet. They've been live on the public test nets for weeks. It feels like, you know, not the end of a journey, but the end at least of one part of the journey that now moves into what happens when these are in the wild. What are people going to build? Like you, you don't know. It's it's a total sandbox now. So talk to me about the emotions of that. How does it feel right now for you to have started this vision to have founded this company and now after years of development and work finally the vision is a product that's coming into people's hands to do what they want with so i think my, my biggest problem is that i'm i always have a hard time you know just like chilling out so i am on the one hand extremely excited like this is ecstatic i can't believe we reached that point it's been a roller coaster. There has been many, many changes. And, you know, if I'm being honest to myself and everyone, like going from a research project and a research paper into like a full-blown production um, protocol, especially something as complicated as this, like that takes way longer. It takes way more iterations. And also the you know the 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 whole blockchain space and technologies involved have made a quite quite a significant leap in in these five years. So it's it's a, I guess a very interesting time, but at the same time I really can't chill. Like I've been spending the last few months, and as people have been seeing from the recent blog post, like we are we are already thinking about the the day after secret secret net the secret network with secret contracts are out and live on mainnet. Because to me, this is, this, is, this is the opposite of the end. This is the beginning, right? Like to me, now the interesting part starts. I 
as much as I enjoy thinking about like all the different aspects of building a protocol like that, what I really care about is, you know, what can we do with this and what will people build with this? What will we build with this? What does this enable? Theoretically, we've hypothesized that this can do so much, but in reality, where we take it from here and where others take it from here, that is the exciting part. Yep, I'm very excited to see where people take things from here, including Enigma, obviously, because I know Enigma's got some some additional products in the work, but maybe, maybe we'll get there in a little bit. Um, rather than talking just now about what's right ahead of us, let's talk a little bit of, of what we've learned. So what's something you really wish you had done differently in the past few years leading up to this moment? I will say two things. A is, and that, that is also a cliche, but, it, but it's true. It's like trust your intuition more. When something doesn't feel quite right, don't quiet that voice. Don't let other convince you otherwise. Just go with your intuition. You won't always be right, but at least you will, you know, you will um, pave a path that you can follow and that others can follow with you, and that is much more likely to succeed than anything else. I mean, always get advice, but eventually follow your intuition. So that is one thing. The other thing, which is, I guess, more concrete to our space, is, um, you, you know, in 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 crypto, we're trying to build infrastructure, not just not just a, a, a simple product, right? We're trying to bring to to build a new internet, in a manner of speaking, and. You think, especially because these projects are open source and they have a big following, you would think that you know the the normal rules of of startups of like being lean, of like doing uh, you know one feature at a time, releasing it, getting feedback, moving fast, breaking things. You think that doesn't apply, and I think that was the biggest mistake I made, and and. That is what I'm trying, one of the big things I'm trying to change right now and that I would definitely do differently. And in practice, this translates to, you know, don't write and publish like two or three years long roadmaps. That doesn't work. That, that's usually what the community expects. I understand why, why it's what like people want to see. You know, if I'm, if I'm on, on, on the community side, that's what I want to see. But as it turns out, what's really right for the product is, you know, think about, as usual with startups, think about your core value proposition, limit, uh, create the most simple protocol, because we're talking about protocols and not, not apps, create the, the, the simplest protocol that you can think about that satisf satisfies that value proposition, release that. You know, be very public, be very open about when you're going to release that. Tell people if there are delays, probably developing the open, developing the clear and, um, and release that and get feedback. And at that point, decide about what you do next. Throw out the feedback that you get from the community. Don't get dragged into adding more features. Don't think that because this is a protocol and, you know, hopefully going to be backbone of the internet maybe that you need to solve all problems from day one because that would lead to um i don't want to say disastrous but like 
uh, poor results and outcome and delays and unnecessary delays, really. I think given the rate of change that we see in this ecosystem, in this industry, it's very sensible to think that you, you should be focusing on the next step ahead of you. And it's very ironic, I would think, something you're pointing out is that when you look at the people who are using these products, following these projects, it, it's somewhat ironic to think that people who have such a short time horizon themselves care so deeply about what is this project going to be doing in five years. And what we're seeing, I think, today is, you know, <laughs> sometimes products will change in five minutes, you know, especially when you're building open source code. It's so easy to fork, make a couple of tweaks. Now you have a sushi swap instead of a Uniswap. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it's tough to say, like, what is going to make a platform defensible in the long term or, or like solving real problems for users in the long term when, you know, really we can't say what that horizon is. So let's just look back from 2017 even until today. What what do you think has been the the biggest change from 2017 until today? Like what 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 is different, and then maybe what is really basically the same? So I'll start with the same, um, and and that I did expect to change quite a bit between uh, then and now, but it's but it it has improved, but. I think the 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 space is still very much speculation driven. Um, I think where where I've changed is that in 2017 this seemed to me like, um, you know, not not the greatest thing, not not something I would want to even acknowledge. I think over time uh, I've come to realize that you know speculation eventually also leads to fundamentals right so like when you're trying when when you're when you're trying your products when you're trying new technologies you do want speculators to come in and use them and so i think that's that's something that hasn't changed too much um on the macro level but has changed for me to come to accept that on the personal level um but i do think that one thing that has changed between 2017 and today is that, you know, even though we're still very speculation driven, we're also much more utility driven. So in 2017, uh, it was crazy, as, as I'm sure you, you are aware and remember well, it was a crazy time where all you had to do is like, you know, publish a white paper, uh, put a few faces, in many cases, they, they, these faces uh, of the team members weren't even real. And you could probably, you know, raise a lot of money or in worst cases, even, um, you know, do more malicious uh, things. It, it was a crazy time and there was very little utility. However, today, at least, we are seeing usage. Like you're seeing usage on Ethereum, usage on other platforms increasing. Yes, most of them still revolve around financial applications, but maybe that's not so bad. Maybe, maybe blockchains, either true true destiny, or at least in the next five to ten years, its true destiny is to experiment enough in financial applications and invent new things, and even get the speculators who are interested in that on board so that we can get to something really, really robust. So, a, you know, a TLDR of, of the sensor, I guess, you know, I'm just rum, rumbling at this point, but the, 
the TLDR of this is um, there is more utility today. The fact that that projects are being measured and even even though that might be inflated, but projects are being measured more about like how much um, um, value is locked inside the platforms, how much value is moving inside the platforms, to me is a big improvement compared to how, mu- how many words they write in the white papers. I agree with you 100%. At the same time, you know, any metric that you create uh, can eventually be gamed to some extent. So I'm I'm still looking, like I'm sure you are, for like what is really going to be the longer term metrics we look for when we're we're trying to define the success of the platform. And of course, what remains to be seen is how sustainable are any of these products, are any of these protocols. You know, they go through these big boom bust cycles, even of adoption. Um, and it, we have to see like how defensible is a, is a single DEX, how defensible even is a layer one if it can't scale. So as we're looking for that, right, I know Secret Network is trying to solve a lot of these problems, uh, you know, scalability and privacy and interoperability, obviously the, the, the trinity that everybody talks about. Um, and, and I think we've done a pretty good job communicating how Secret Network uh, is is trying to solve all those problems, but at the same time, it's a very complex piece of technology. I, I always have difficulty, especially if I'm communicating outside the blockchain space, but all the time inside the space, have a hard time communicating exactly what the value proposition is. So what's something that you wish more people understood about Secret Network, both like its current state and its vision for what it's solving for the blockchain space and beyond? I'll split my answer to two. You know, I want my, I guess, aunt, you know, to um, have a really strong use case that she uses every day um, where I can show her the power of Secret Network because I don't think we'll ever get to the point where, you know, I can explain to my aunt, to my mom, even to my dad, like, you know, how, how the technology actually works uh, just the same way I can't explain to them how TCP IP works, but I can tell them, you know, what the benefits of using the internet, which uses TCP IP are. So that would be one thing that right now we're not there yet because we don't have that kind of um, mainstream adoption. And that's what I want to get to. But, you know, when it comes more, I'd say, in the, in the ecosystem that we're living in, you know, with people who are actually, let's say, crypto savvy, like maybe they don't understand the tech that well, but they do, like they've they've heard of blockchain, they hold crypto, they've heard of like um, even stuff like zero knowledge proofs and other things and, you know, Zcash and Ethereum. My concern is, or like what I want to see, what I wish people would understand about Secret Network is that there is a big difference between what we do and what like Zcash and Monero and others do. Um, you know, we, we, we keep pushing the message that secret network is to Ethereum, kind of like what Zcash and Monero is to Bitcoin. I, I, I don't see a better way to frame that. Like in three years, we haven't found a better way to frame that. But uh, in all honesty, I still think that most people who um, um, you know, come to the project for the first time, they don't get it. It takes it takes them some time, some research to actually digest 
and understand it. And usually at that point, they get the, that aha moment. Yeah, the, of course, this, this, this makes sense and this is useful. But I wish we could close that gap and, you know, and make the, that explanation uh, much more succinct and, and approachable. I think you were spot on, really, with the first half of your answer, too, where it's like maybe the best way to explain how something programmable like Secret Network differs from transactional privacy coins like Monero is just to show them the variety of things that can be built on a platform like Secret Network or the variety of secret tokens that can be created, you know, from wrapping Secret or wrapping Ether to creating staking derivatives. I think the more tangible products that show the variety of use cases, the way that Ethereum is more than just like an ICO platform, especially now with DeFi, uh, I think that that's definitely the way to to show people these differences. Otherwise, you're just looking at two products on the front page of CoinMarketCap, looking at them next to each other. They both have like a privacy tag on them, and that's the level of sophistication you're going to stop at generally, unless you give them something more tangible to use to aid in their own understanding. Uh, so I think both halves of your answers are, are great, and together they, they do paint uh, a path forward for how you can teach users about this differentiation and also onboard them to using this next generation of privacy-enabled decentralized products. So let's talk about DeFi a little bit more for a second, because as we're saying, that's one of the cases where usage uh, has really been obvious. You know, you don't have to convince somebody that something's going on with DeFi. Clearly something is going on and it's not just in looking at prices. It is looking at like total value locked, but it's also just using, looking at like active addresses, the individual users, and you can see the volume of conversation around it uh, from people who are not just traders, right? But technologists who are really excited now about the possibilities for these platforms. So, this this might be a this might be a tough question to answer in in a way that satisfies everyone. So give me the answer that satisfies you. What do you think of DeFi? Both what it is and what it can be. What are the biggest opportunities? What are the biggest threats? And how do you think? I know this is a multi-parter, but we'll get to all of them. How do you think Secret Network specifically is going to play a key role in DeFi going forward? Okay, let's 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 talk about DeFi first. Let's talk about DeFi one year, like in the next one year, and then DeFi in ten years. So, DeFi is an is a bubble information. Okay, it's it's a bubble uh, that's increasing right now. We don't know where it will stop. Um, I suspect it will explode. Yeah, you know, it, it is showing very much of the same signs of any bubble. Uh, it is showing very much the same signs of twenty seventeen. All of these, you know, depending on how you look at it, unless maybe you can capitalize on it, but all of these are fairly negative, I would say. But, you know, if I'm being more optimistic, I genuinely believe that DeFi is, is incredible. And the reason I think that DeFi is incredible, and I'm talking about DeFi, you know, five years from now, um, the reason I think DeFi is incredible is because it allows anyone, everyone, any developer in a very permissionless, open way uh, to, to basically write financial instruments of any kinds. And we're already seeing people developing ideas that are 
much, much more interesting and innovative than anything we've seen in the, in the you know, I guess, normal financial system. Now, I think what's most interesting about DeFi, and that seems to be almost an accident, and I have to credit that to Ethereum. Ethereum, you know, came up with the idea of composability, which is the ability from one smart contract to call another smart contract. But that idea is why DeFi is really so powerful. Because at the end of the day, you can create, you know, a hundred, a thousand, you know, a million of financial instruments or like financial contracts or, you know, financial ideas, let's call them. But you're limited to that. And in the normal financial world, you're going to, you're going to build way less than if you have something uh, like an open financial system where every 20 year old developer can develop something new. So already the openness and permissionless of the, of, of, of DeFi allows you to create many more ideas and experiment with them very, very fast. But with composability, you can actually grow to quadratic number of, of financial instruments and even exponential number of financial instruments, because at the end of the day, you can compose any of these any of these smart contracts each one of them representing some you know financial application some financial idea with each other in many many interesting ways now that is the good part i think that is why defi is actually i think defi will change the world i think defi will change how the financial system behave but again i do think that this is a longer term and we have a boom bust cycle ahead of us, you know, before we get there. Um, I think that covers it beyond, beyond the secret aspect of it. I view DeFi as something that is very, very useful, longer term. I, I see it as something extremely powerful, but I do suspect we are entering a, another uh, boom-bust cycle. And one, one thing about that, you know, I do, I, I, I do see a lot of people who are smart people who I value their opinion, you know, I won't say any names, but you know, people who have a major following on Twitter, I see them, you know, hyping DeFi as it currently stands on Twitter, as if what we have right now as DeFi is like, you know, already already ready to be a new financial system. A lot of the things we're seeing in DeFi, we did see before in the regular financial world. And we, uh, you know, a lot of them relate to over leveraging, over exposing, resecuritizing, and, and resecuritizing again and again and again. You know, we've seen those things, and we've seen them end, end really, really badly. So, again, I think I think there's too much excitement right now. But at the end of the day, that excitement will be deserved once things, you know, reach to a more sustainable level. Yeah, I, I want to take your point around people taking it a little bit too far on Twitter. Like, obviously, there's an emotional piece to any boom-bust cycle like this. And it is those emotions that push people to create, you know, new kinds of platforms and to actually, like, be early adopters of these bleeding-edge platforms that, you know, like, really could blow up at any time. And, and the people building these platforms hopefully are, you know, upfront about that possibility because they've, they've never been built. They've, we're testing in prod, right? But we'll we'll really see uh, we'll we'll really see what happens from there. I guess that what I'm afraid of, and maybe you're afraid of this too, is if we're hyping it on Twitter, if we're doing all this, like un ultimately people don't understand 
the complexity of the risks that they're taking. And it's abstracted away in the platform behind like a, a extremely inflated APY number. It's like, go get like a 200,000% APY. It's like, these numbers are obviously ridiculous and unsustainable, but they're super attractive. And obviously if one bigger is number bigger than another number, it has to be the best number. That's, that's obviously how math and, and uh, economics works. Um, so it's very easy to sort of fall into that trap, especially as you're saying, you can create platforms with, you know, increasingly arbitrary amounts of complexity and leverage and interconnectedness. You know, that's that's always going to be a challenge. So what what do you think? What do you think happens? Like, first of all, we're agreeing that I think when we're communicating to users, we need to be setting expectations better and we need to be really giving them more confidence in the sustainability of these platforms. So that does lead to the last piece of the question is how do the capabilities of secret network help support that vision of a more sustainable, decentralized financial ecosystem? I think sustainability, I do think there's a cycle we have to go through. At some point, the market would balance it out and do things would be less speculative and API numbers would, you know, would go to a more reasonable level. Um, but for DeFi to really be sustainable, it has to be widely adopted. Right now, you know, with current gas fees, with current complexity, it's really just like, you know, insiders, whales, uh, people who are already in this ecosystem and have already fairly large positions, kind of like recycling their money or new people, but, you know, who are not really retail coming in and, you know, putting their money into it. That, that is not, that is A, not sustainable. B, that's not going to get us to anywhere interesting where there's like, you know, mass adoption. But in order for mass adoption to happen, we need, um, you know, at least a couple of things, right? I mean, we need scalability, that's for sure. Secret network, I believe, is already more scalable um, than many other platforms because it uses uh, Cosmos SDK and Tendermint. Um, that is, you know, that is that is a proof of stake consensus. It has its benefits. It is faster. It's uh, it, it, it reaches finality uh, more quickly. And we also know that Ethereum is eventually going to get there. Uh, probably sometime this year uh, or the next year or the next two years, right? So that, from a scalability perspective, that is a direction. And also there are secondary solutions to kind of augment and help that. And even at Secret Network, you know, as we grow, we will probably have to adopt this. But beyond scalability, which is obvious, you really need privacy. Again, it boils down to the same question. If, if retail people are going to use these platforms, are going to use these, if this is going to be the future of uh, finan uh, the, the financial system and what we can do and what people can do with their money, then they need to keep that money safe and private. No one will settle for less. No one. And to reach that critical adoption, um, we need a platform that that, that gives you uh, privacy preserving DeFi, which is in the secret ecosystem, what we have recently come to call secret DeFi. It's the ability to build any DeFi application, any new token, because all of DeFi is basically tokenizing everything. All of these needs to be completely private uh, in order for the for mass adoption. 
And the last part, and the last part, which I think is interesting, um, and I think Secret Network would have a benefit, probably not for the right reason right now, because it's simply smaller, but you know that could help right now, is the idea of gas prices. I, I feel that Ethereum is right now in a place where it's you know, inaccessible for the, for the average Joe because of high gas, gas prices. And we really need to ask ourselves, at what point does a permissionless network become a privileged network for privileged people? I would say right about now. Uh, but it goes back to, again, like who benefits <laughs> from the current DeFi system? It's like, if it is the whales, if it is people with large Twitter followings, if it is venture capital firms who have staffs of like analysts who go all day looking into all of the newest, hottest DeFi lending, yielding platforms, then, you know, like it's easy to see why they would be in favor of a financial system, decentralized as it may be, permissionless as it may be, but it clearly benefits the people who have the most resources to throw behind it. I don't see how that's any different from the world that we've already created, except we have slightly different people on top. So I definitely empathize with the view that you're sharing where it's like we want to have privacy so that we can have retail users using these kinds of applications doing so securely doing so safely and then also you know not feeling like they're they're constantly exposing everything about themselves to the world to, to be taken advantage of i think that there's a very strong tie between feeling exposed and feeling unsafe you know, it's it's definitely a feeling of security that you get just when you know you are in control uh, of your own data, especially when it's data about your own financial condition. So we've talked a little bit about how Secret Network can contribute to DeFi through these secret DeFi applications. So now let's say we're, I don't know when people are listening to this, but, you know, let's say secret contracts are out on mainnet. Finally, people are building. What are the plans, let's say for Enigma specifically, or I guess we can also say, what are your hopes for what people would build outside of Enigma? What are the, what's the plan now? What, what are we building? What are we scaling? How do we make uh, meaning out of what is a groundbreaking technology? This gets back to one of the lessons learned. I, uh, I have big visions for Secret Network and what it can do and what kind of industries it can impact. But looking at the space right now, I think we are, you know, we all recognize that the interest at this point is around financial applications, right? How can we add privacy to financial applications? It starts with transactional privacy, so the ability to transact, um, you know, send money from one person to the other with privacy. But, you know, with everything going around DeFi gaming, DeFi gaming, which seems to be kind of interconnected, all of these, all of these experiments, all these financial uh, services, they need privacy. And to me, that is what, you know, we, at the extended secret, secret network ecosystem, not just Enigma, that is what we want to focus on and what we need to focus on, at least in the next few months. Um, that's one aspect. The other aspect, which is related, is uh, interoperability. Because as great a secret network can be, it can only be so, so much powerful uh, uh, in a vacuum, you know? 
But if we can connect it to other ecosystems like Ethereum, like Bitcoin, like the ever-expanding Cosmos ecosystem, like to the now-emerging Polkadot ecosystem and others, that is where the power lies. We need to be able to bring assets from other chains to secret network, uh, imbue them with privacy. So I would want to see native non-private assets become privacy-preserving assets or secret assets or secret tokens on the secret network. And then I'm curious, what can we do with them? So that is exactly what we are right now focusing on. And I think other, other parties in the ecosystem are also looking into this as well. And I think that's where that's where we're going to take things in the very near future. The very near future is super exciting. And obviously, I agree with you that it, like if the market is telling you where to go, if users are telling you what they need, you know, you meet them where they are. You don't try to force them to use something that they have no interest in. You, you build something that you know there's demand for. There's, like you said earlier, we shouldn't be treating the blockchain space as though it's a parallel or alternate universe to normal startup life. Like if you were building, you know, your startup for a vision five years in the future where someday people are going to use your product, but it's not today. And that was your pitch to, to a VC giving you early stage funding. I don't think you would get very far. You, you have to show that you're willing to iterate. You have to show that you're capable of understanding your core audience and your core market. And then I also think you have to be capable of communicating that vision back to the community and setting expectations. And I think, again, this is something that you've learned, and of course I have learned as well, uh, about the path forward and about how you keep a community behind a project and ecosystem behind a project aligned with both the short and the long-term vision. So just for a moment, let's talk about uh, the vision beyond the next few months. If you had to dream up some of the industries that you're thinking someday Secret Network can be impacting, you know, even if we're not building this tomorrow, even if you don't think enterprises are ready for it, even if you don't think certain end users are ready for it, what would you love to see Secret Network playing a role in, in the future? Mostly two things, and they're somewhat related. One of them is protecting personal data. As I said, like the, the very, very original motivation for you know, Enigma and then Secret Network came from the idea of how can people can control, how can people control their own data? Um, and I, I think that the only way to do that is with a system like Secret Network. The second but related aspect is around medical. I think medical data is extremely siloed. I think we are losing people's lives because of that, or we are losing the ability to improve people's lives. I would really want to see not like, I, I, I would want to avoid having like major companies or, you know, uh, uh, or hospitals um, just hoard that data and not be able to share it and utilize it with others. I would want to see an open network of medical data sets, genomic data sets, where I can come in and just, you know, take my own personal genomic data or healthcare data or whatnot and just uh, in a very accessible manner, like, you know, try to learn more things about me or my physician can learn more things about me or hospitals can do better research because they get access to more data, like all of that the ability to keep um, sensitive medical and genomic data private and utilize it in a way that benefits all, to me is like, that is the holy grail. That is where I wanna see us get. 
I don't think we're that, you know, I think this is, this is a very, very long-term vision, but that's what we need to aspire to. Because, you know, financial is great. I love financial. I think it's important. It's and, and other and other industries as well. But what can be more important than, you know, helping people, um, uh, saving lives maybe even? I agree with you. And ultimately, there is no greater resonance, right, to a product than saying, not only did this benefit my life, it saved my life. And in the future, I know we think a lot about blockchain technologies as being something very like interactive for users, especially in DeFi, like you're constantly interacting with the blockchain directly. But in the future, it does seem like a lot of the products we're going to use and depend on are going to have blockchain and other decentralized technologies integrated in a way where it has been more abstracted. And that's for the benefit of the end user again, but like we'll stop thinking about like how, how am I using the blockchain and just more thinking about the products that we're using that have integrated it. And I think in healthcare, that's probably one great example. Guy, you have shared a ton of secrets with us, both about yourself and about Secret Network and about your vision for the future. I think you've been extremely clear-eyed about DeFi itself uh, and how we can be contributing to DeFi without contributing to the worst parts of DeFi uh, and keeping that long-term vision for what an open financial system can look like. So lastly, I want to close with, with the most important question uh, that I think we got from a lot of people who have been following the project, who have been following you. Tell us about your dog. <laughs> My dog. My dog is actually here outside the door, so I'm at the I'm at our offices. He's uh, kind of becoming the company's mascot, maybe. Although, Tor, as we as I know at least, and hopefully other people, you have two cats, and um, we've been debating who who is the real mascot. But I think now that you're with the secret net with the secret foundation, maybe maybe there's room for both. But my dog is, is lovely. His name is uh, Newton. He's um, 10, 10 years old, so not, not very young. Um, he's adorable, but never get food around him because he will snap it out of your fingers. And what's his name? His name is uh, Newton, and he's a beagle, a very, a very large-sized beagle. Excellent. I'm, I'm debating whether to use your header image or Newton's header image as, as my guest for the episode. So we'll see. Maybe maybe I'll compromise and use both because uh, he's he's a great dog. And as you said, he, he is sort of a mascot for for uh, Enigma and for Secret Network overall. And I'm my cats are wonderful. But to be honest, cats, <laughs> I don't know who I'd rather have the face of the project. Cats are not very personable at the end of the day, <laughs> except except that I, I think I have very personable cats. We'll, we'll, we'll explore this on a later episode of Sharing Secrets. Guy, I'm sure we will bring you back, uh, especially as we're building out some of these applications and uh, and we're seeing more usage for things like secret tokens or, or other early applications on the network. But in the meantime, Thank you so much for coming on with me today. Uh, I think that this was a wonderful conversation. It's always wonderful to hear more about your motivations and experience. And honestly, I cannot wait to see what you build next. So thank you again. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to like, subscribe, and make sure to check out all the Secret Network communities that you can see here, including the Secret Chat, the Secret Forum, and of course, our Twitter. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you the next time we share secrets.